All right, well, welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Joe Wood, and I'm the senior pastor here, and we're glad to have you here. Before I go any further, let me just say to all of you college students that today begins um, our, our mooching. I guess actually last week did, but some of you are wondering if we're going to have mooching because of everything that's been going on in the Wood family's life. Yes, we are having mooching. We are having chicken enchiladas, and we are having street corn. Um, if you are a traditional college student, uh, you are welcome to my house after this service, and we will watch football, eat uh, chicken enchiladas and street corn, and just communicate and get to know each other, and, and it will be a blast. So let me just throw that out there. It's been a bit of a crazy week um, at the Wood House. Those of you that know us know that our, uh, one, our youngest son um, had an accident four weeks ago, a head-on collision. Um, girl drifted into his lane and put him in the hospital, and so his body He's been rebuilt. And then uh, my wife had a major surgery on Friday, um, and some of you have been praying and following along there, so she's at home today um, and recovering. And so uh, I have spent my whole week preparing for today and driving back and forth somebody to a hospital appointment somewhere. And I'm just like wore out from hospitals. I am so done with hospitals. It has just been raining in my house and uh, in my life. It's crazy how the Lord does things. A couple of months ago, when I saw a title to a movie coming out, I said, you know what, that would make a great sermon illustration. So I just want to you know, confess right now, I totally ripped it off. Uh, okay, I'm just going to tell you straight up, I totally ripped it off. This sermon series that we're launching today is called The Art of Driving in the Storm. Okay, you got to change a word or else they show up at your doorstep and say, change the words. Um, so I changed the word and that's it. I don't want to talk today about people's lives who have come to a sudden absolute stop. I want to talk about when the weather condition changes, what do you do and how do you do it? And so we're going to look at this in the book of uh, Hebrews. I want to start with this passage. I want this to be the central focus today. Um, so I'm going to read from this thing. This thing is a Bible. If you're wondering what I'm holding, you're like, what on earth has he got? Um, this is called a Bible. You can also find this on your iPhone if you, um, you know, do U-version. Um, it's just a little different than this one, but you can find it. And um, you will always find it up on the screens when I'm reading Scripture. Um, so uh, I just happen to like to hold this and to read it directly from it. So that's what I'm going to do. I want to read in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. I believe Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the book of Hebrews personally. Um, and so that's the way I'm going to continue to preach until the Lord calls me home. But let's just look at three verses, just three verses in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And then let's begin to say, what does the Lord want to say to me today? I mean, I, I don't want you here and, and saying, man, I'm just trying to punch a ticket to get church done so that, you know, I can feel good about myself. I want you to come in and say, you know, if I'm in here, I want to believe that God has something to say to me. And now I want to prepare my heart for what it is. So let's do this. Holy Spirit, we just want to invite you to come. And we want to just ask and pray that you would take our hearts and just wreck it. Just wreck it. And then sew it back together with this passage. Stitch our fleshly heart up with your threads, Lord. With your drama of redemption. With your word. And God, I just ask and pray that it would reach in and just, just touch somewhere, somehow, each one of our lives as much as it's touched mine. In Jesus' name, amen. The thing about pray, uh, I mean, working on a sermon uh, and, and working on a sermon series, 
is that sooner or later it begins to affect you personally. And the crazy part was I had this sermon series almost lined out, and then all of a sudden this accident took place, this surgery came up that we didn't know about, this, this uh, 10-centimeter mass had to be removed, all of this stuff. It just came, and it all came on the heels of our 10th anniversary. So we believe it was a spiritual attack. But at the same time, it was just the Lord. Me doing this sermon was just the Lord getting me ready for what I needed to go through. And we're walking through it. We're not going to be quiet. We're not going back. We're not, uh, you know, mad at God. We're, not, we're going forward. And that's what we're going to do. And I want to share this with you. Hold on. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. And that's what we're going to do. Book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, and when you see therefore in your Bible, you have to say, what's the therefore? Therefore. Okay, that's what you do, literally. They teach you that in Bible college. You pay a lot of money, and that's what they teach you in one course, okay? What is the therefore? Therefore. Therefore means that there was a whole chapter ahead of this that you needed to be aware of, and it's the hall of faith. All of the people that have gone on before you, all of the people that chased God, did what God said, followed after God, all of the people that, that traveled all over the world, heard from God, walked with God, was touched by God, was healed by God, was lifted up by God, all of the people that they list in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. All of these people, okay, come forward. And the scripture ends by saying, and none of these people received what they were promised. They only saw it from a distance because they realized the fulfillment of it was going to be through Christ with you. They would receive it together. That's my paraphrase of the end. And then Paul says, so therefore, and remember, there's no chapters and verses when Paul wrote this. He's just on the next paragraph. Therefore, since I told you about all those people, Abraham and Moses and Jephthah and Gilead and Gideon and all those guys, okay, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since all of these people are watching us from heaven and have gone on before us, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such uh, um, um, opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Paul grabs this, this metaphor, and he does this um, quite often. Um, um, he's talking about running a race. He's talking about racing. And when he talks about racing, he's talking about you living your life. You getting up in the morning, getting the kids together, getting them in the van, getting them into that stinking you know, car line. My, my daughter called me um, you know, not long ago. She, she volunteered to go you know, take one of the, the, the people to the hospital from our family. And, and, and so I said, I'll pick up the kids. Well, that was a dumb thing to volunteer for. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now, going and getting in the mom line as a man who's never done it before, I, I, I promise you, after what I have heard about moms in the car line, you say, they, uh, church, you, you know, you go to a new church and somebody walks up to your chair and they're like, hey, uh, that's my chair and you're not doing this right. You know how it is, you know, if you've ever visited one of those churches and you've gone and somebody just stands there and looks at you and you're like, baby, are we doing something wrong? And it's like, no, you're just sitting in his, his pew. He sat there for 35 years and, you know, we don't care if you're saved or not. You need to move. Okay. You know how it is. Well, a that has nothing on the mom line at the car drop off. 
Nothing. Heaven help you if you have to stop for more than a couple of seconds because your kids are like, you're not mom. Grandpa, what are you doing here? And they want to have a discussion before they get in the car, before the honking starts behind you. It's like, whoa, whoa. We got people in the hospital, people. I'm just the substitute. Man. And then, and then there's a lady down by the corner of the building. <laughs> yeah, uh, Josiah's grandpa's coming to get him. He doesn't know what he's doing, okay? Get the kids up to the curb, please. You can see it. There was one time Janice went to pick the kids up, and she's trying to say, Stella, tell them I'm your grandma. And she's just looking at her like, what? And these people are looking at Janice like, what? And it's like, I promise I'm her grandma. Stella, tell them I'm your grandma. You know, she won't do it. Okay, so we're talking about racing. We're talking about the things that we do in everyday life. We drop the kids off. And, you know, it's one thing to drop the kids off. It's another thing to drop them off or pick them up, and it starts raining. Or it starts snowing. Or it's all icy. The weather condition begins to change. And so you begin to talk this, this idea, this motif of racing. You know what motif is, right? It's like Leon Spinks. That's what he wants for Christmas, motif. You know, that was a bad dad joke, sorry. You know. Anyway, um, that, that metaphor, that metaphor, okay? Some of you are just starting to get that. I get that. Okay. I'm going to talk a little slower for you, okay? No, um, it, it's just the idea. Paul says we want to talk about racing, but we want to make it a metaphor for living our life. And that's what we're doing. And so we're going through this race. Now, for him, it was foot races. It was marathon races. It was the beginning of the Olympics as we know it today. And that was what's going on. Um, but he wants to challenge us to stay the course. Now, real quick, three verses. I can give you a whole sermon to grab a hold of. A, be aware of the number of winners that have gone on before us. I mean, you can live your life by this stuff. It's crazy what this Bible will do for you. Okay, be aware of the great number of winners that have gone on before you. B, unburden yourself. Stop picking stuff up. Just stop. Don't pick up a bad attitude. Stop picking up bitterness. Stop picking up being mad. Stop picking up covetousness. Stop picking up somebody else's wife, okay? Stop it. Enough. Okay. So too many people have gone to hell hanging on to their cars and their guitars, okay? Let them go. All right. Run with perseverance and purpose. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the left or the right. And finally, don't grow weary and lose heart. There, there's three verses. I mean, there's a, there's a whole sermon for three verses. Grab a hold of that. All right? That's it. But this is what I think God wants to say. Because back in the day, he talks, Paul talks about running foot races, but I think it's in Colossians or um, Ephesians that he talks about races, but it's more inclined that it was probably from the chariot races. Because, you know, what is it about guys? We always have to see if mine's faster than yours. We, have to, we just got to do that. First of all, I need to know if I can run faster than you. You know, third grade, and I could run faster than everybody, and everybody needed to know it. Well, in Paul's day, they're racing on foot races, and they were racing horses back then. Man, in the, in the gladi gladiator arena, man, they're racing horses. You remember Ben-Hur? You know what I mean? I mean, you know, they really did this kind of stuff back then, and, and people got murdered and killed and under trampled on and all like that. But it's like, I just got to know if my four horses are better than your four horses. And, and I'm, you know, I don't know what reason, but we all have to get them the same color, you know, in, as they pull the chariot. And so that's even better. 
But we need to know if it's bigger, stronger, faster. You got a 350, I got a 400. You got a 400, I got a 427. You got a 427, I got a 455. And you girls are like, what are you talking about? Shoe sizes? What is this for men? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. We just need to know what, how big, how many cubic inches is the motor under the hood of the vehicle that you drive every day. And then we want to equate that to horsepower. And so as I was preparing for this message, I began to think about the top racing movies that are out there. What kind of a backdrop could we begin to use? And I thought, Fast and the Furious, one through 89, or however many they've made. You know what I'm talking about? It just keeps going on, and now it's Calvin and Hobbes. No, that's the cartoon in the thing. It's, uh, it's that other, Sean Hobbes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, and then there's Cars. We could have had fun with Cars, right? Because there's a racing movie for for you. That's a feel-good, you know, Bonnie Hunt. She is a little Porsche, and that's a great little... Okay, and then there's um, Death Race. Okay, that will be an ugly one, but hey, we could talk about Death Race because a lot of people are racing their death. And there's Days of Thunder. Yeah, now there's a good one right there. Come on, let's do Days of Thunder. And then there's Gumball Rally, and some of you are like, what? Go home and ask your grandparents, okay? They'll tell you what was Gumball Rally. Then there was cannonball run now that was a fun one that was back in the 70s you weren't born yet some of you okay and then there was six pack we needed a pg one and we needed a singer to have a role so we did that okay then there was Smokey and the bandit classic always at the top always at, now three four and five i don't care about but you know Smokey and the bandit one was really good and then my all-time favorite talladega nights the legend of ricky bobby come on if that is not a sermon series waiting to happen, I'm not sure what it is. But the one that started it all, Herbie the Love Bug. Yeah. It's, not, it's about that little tiny Volkswagen that had a life of its own. And it was always doing that, you know. And there it was. There, we're, fascinated with, we're fascinated with racing in our humanity. We just are. We're fascinated with racing. Faster and faster and faster. Um, um, BMW has a car right now. It, it costs two and a half, three, three and a half million dollars. But they just broke the streetcar world record at 311 miles an hour on the street, basically. Um, and so, who needs a car that goes 311 miles an hour on the street? <laughs> I had my car tuned, and the guy said, this car will now go 316 miles an hour if you can get it up to that speed uh, without getting caught. It will do that. It's like, I don't have that much time in my life, and, and I would not, to not go to jail. However, I did have the pleasure, because I needed a Joe Day a couple of weeks ago. I did have the pleasure of just saying, you know what? I need to get away from hospitals. I need to get away from people. I need to get away from my phone. I need to get away from problems. Because I've got a wife that's going through something. I've got a son that's going through something. And, and I'm just, I can't fix it. I can't. And as a dad, I just want you, that kills me. When, when I walk in and somebody says, well, now this. And it's like, I can't fix it. I can't fix it. Stop telling me more problems. I can't fix it. And so I woke up and I asked my wife, I said, listen, are you okay today? She said, yeah. She hadn't had her surgery yet, and I said, can you take care of James today? And she said, yes, and I said, I just need to leave. I said, I just need to go somewhere and do something that's Joe, stupid. That usually means stupid, okay? Like somebody's going to get in trouble, um, and I promise I did my best not to get in a position that embarrassed you because it is my, I don't, you ever want to say, 
somebody to say to you, don't you go to the vineyard? Because your pastor just, I, I try to avoid that. But I had the joy of taking my car over to Bowling Green where it was made, and they have a racetrack over there, and I just had a blast. Um, it was, I only got to be on the track for 12 minutes. But that didn't matter because, you know, we were doing like, it was a nice sunny day and it was pretty and we're doing 105 miles an hour and going around the curves and having to slow down and speed up and, and all like that. And it was just like absolutely amazing. It was fun. It was fast. It was sunny and dry. And we ran in 11 minutes, we ran four laps, 3.2 miles. And it was, if that little Camaro with that little four cylinder turbocharger would have just got out of the way, we could have made it in less time. There's no doubt. But, man, I'm driving this thing like it's just at the edge of turning into Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. I mean, it was just right there. And it was just like, move, just go faster, come on. And for just 12 minutes, in light of all of the rain that's been falling on my family, I wasn't Joe Wood the pastor. I was Joe Wood the race car driver. <laughs> you know? When I was a little boy crawling around on the floor with matchbox cars going, brr, brr, brr. I mean, I'm over there and the RPMs are up at 4,000, 5,000 RPMs, 400 horses under the hood, not four. And this thing is screaming bloody murder. And it's like, man, this smells good. And you can tell that you're kind of wrecking tires a little bit. And it's just like, oh, this feels good for just that long. But that was a dry day. That was a dry day. It was a warm, sunny, nothing's wrong, nothing was going on in the world for 12 minutes, and it was a blast. I like the idea of racing. When I watch um, Days of Thunder, I sit and I, and I do this, and I do that, and my wife's like, what the heck? What are you doing? I said, I'm racing. Leave me alone. Me and Tom Cruise, we're doing it. We're going between those guys. Come on, move over, move over. She's like, you know this isn't real. It's like, get thee behind me. Go on. No. For just a second, it's dry, it's sunny. But what happens when things are going well and then the rain sets in? What happens when you're experiencing your dream and you're like, whoa, whoa, where's this dark cloud coming from? Where's this rain? What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? What's going to happen? Suddenly there's a storm. You know, sometimes on rain day, the rain, the, I mean, the, the, the race starts in the rain. Maybe not in a NASCAR track, but in the Le Mans and the, and the uh, Nürburgring um, track over in Germany. They start those 24-hour races, and if it's raining, it's raining. Too bad. And then you've got to decide, how are you going to win this race? If it's pouring, if the conditions are not optimal, if things are not going the way you want them or expected them to go, how are you going to keep racing so you can win? Because winning matters. Winning matters. I want to talk about how we keep racing, not how we survive. Because I'm not talking about hitting the wall. I'm, I'm talking about it starts to rain, so something has to happen. You know, in order to win, we have to finish. We have to. Winning matters. It does. And those who finish, according to the Scripture, win. This is what Paul said to you and I from the book of Acts chapter 20. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. You don't finish the race if you stop because it's raining. You don't. 
You've got to keep moving forward. We'll talk about that. He says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then as he knew that he was going to die, he writes a letter to his protege, Timothy, and he says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. His appearance. He's like, I'm going to finish this race. And he's like, Timothy, my race is about to be done. And I like that he says that because, listen, in the course of the last month, I have processed a lot of life and death, and I will never stop clinging to the understanding that the goal of Christianity is not to stay on the planet. It's to be faithful until we go home. But the goal is going home. So the idea that the Lord might take me home today, I need you to understand, does not bother me. I'm okay with that. Because I want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want him to leave me on this planet. Paul knows that he's won. He just needs to finish the race. Do you know that? Do you know we've already won? We just got to go through it. We could see that my son was going through this. I could see that my wife had to experience this. And she had that surgery Friday. And I knew that, listen to me, I just had to bear this until we got out the other side. Once we got on the other side of that surgery, we could begin the healing living process. Because I promise you, I'm not living on Friday staring at the cross. I'm walking on Sunday away from an empty tomb where Jesus has risen from the dead. That is my hope, and that's my promise as I race. So in order for us to keep winning, we have to keep moving forward. Because keep moving forward is the only way to the finish line. My wife and I like to ride a motorcycle as well, and this is the only racing shirt I have in my closet. We went to Florida one time just on vacation, her and I. We were in Orlando. And we woke up and I said, you know what? I bet we can get all the way home tonight if we wanted to, but I'd like to stop in Macon, Georgia. I just picked somewhere along the road. Not her. We left Orlando, Florida and went to bed in Richmond, Kentucky. We got off the bike long enough to grab some peanuts, to grab some water, and to fill the tank. And then we got back on it. The problem was we hit Kentucky at the same time that storm hit Kentucky. It was a deluge of rain. It was 35 miles an hour on the highway in the pouring rain with the semis at 10.30 at night. If they blew a tire, I was coming off the bike. And every time I came to an exit, I said, Hey, listen, the, the, the rain's letting up. Why don't we go in here and get a hotel? And she said, No, the rain's letting up. Let's just keep going. And I said, Okay. And as soon as we got past the exit, here came more rain. And it would just pour buckets on us. And I would say, We're stopping at the next exit. We get to the next exit. It stops raining. And I say, let's get a hotel. She says, we can make it. I said, okay. I get past the exit. It rains on us. I said, because I'm a professional and I'm the pastor, the Lord wants us to get a hotel. She said the Lord wanted her to be home that night. And we got home that night. But you know, when the storm hits, you have to keep going. 
I like the way John Wimber says it about life and about things for you and I. The way in is the way on. Think about that with what you're going through. The way in is the way on. Keep moving forward. So if the storm hits, what has to change in order for you to win? If the way in is the way on and the storm hits, what has to change in order for you to keep racing? What has to change? The first thing is your speed has to change. You have to slow down. You have to. You don't have any choice. That rain is what caused the accident that almost killed my son. You've got to slow down. Don't yell at people when they slow down in Richmond, Kentucky, because it's only raining a little bit. It's okay to slow down. It's important. You can't keep doing what you're doing at the pace that you're doing it. We live in a world that has this horrible fear of FOMO, don't we? I have the fear of missing out. Well, how come I didn't get to go to that? How come I didn't get to go to that? How come I didn't get to go to that? Nobody gave me an invitation to that. If I do this, I can't do that. If I do that, I can't do this. If I do this, I can't do that. And we just live our lives in such anxiousness that we're going to miss the party. And so we go 100 miles an hour as fast as we can. And the fact of the matter is, we need to slow down. Do you know why the microwave oven was invented? Do you know? I saw a quote from the man that invented it, and he said this, it was created to make the cooking process a shorter amount of time so that housewives, yeah, it was a couple of years ago, so that housewives would have more time. And what have we done with that instead? We can cook faster, we can do more. We can go, 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 go. And that's not necessarily what God wants us to do. I believe that the Lord wants us to slow down. That's not the life, 100 miles an hour, crashing into walls, things going. That's not the life that God has for us. It's not the life that we were created for. You can't do everything. And that's okay. The second thing that that I would tell you, if you're going to win this race and it starts raining, you're going to need to change your tires. One of my favorite arguments in Days of Thunder is when the um, Formula One racer, Tom Cruise, comes to drive a NASCAR and he starts chewing up and spitting up and going through tires 100 miles an hour. And Robert Duvall's going, you've got to change the way you're driving. You've got to stop driving like you're a Formula One driver. You're killing me with the tires. The tires are your friends. Okay, so let's use that metaphor. Your tires are your friends. Cars run on tires, very specific tires. These are for dry uh, roads. These are for wet roads. And the same thing is true with your friends. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn famously said, we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. Who do you spend the most time with? Are these people that build you up, lift you up, encourage you up, and and make you believe? Or are these people that are trying to drag you back into the mud that Jesus saved you out of? Are these people that inspire a good attitude and and get you to, 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 or are these people that uh, inspire your bad attitude? 
Who are the five people that you surround yourself with the most? I, I, I used to love hanging out with youth groups and speaking to youth groups, and I always did this one thing somewhere in the year. I would put a five-gallon bucket on the ground upside down, and I would stand on a five-gallon bucket, and I would ask them, is it easier for me to get other people up on top of this five-gallon bucket with me, or is it easier for the people around me to pull me off the five-gallon bucket? It is always easier to pull somebody off the five-gallon bucket. So the question is, you want to surround yourself with people that help you stay on the bucket. Is that who you're surrounded with? You can't always change who you work with and things like that, but what are you listening to? I, I promise you, you listen to people cuss and swear and cuss and swear and cuss and swear and cuss and swear, and one of these days it's going to come out of your mouth because you're not on your guard. And I'm just picking one little thing. You will become the people you surround yourself with if you're not super intentional. And I believe that there comes a time when you need to change the tires. You've got to change the people that you spend most of your time with. You don't have to hate your friends, but want Jesus for them enough to show them Jesus and stop being like who you used to be. King Solomon said the same thing in the first chapter of the book of Proverbs. My son, if sinful men entice you, don't give in. Wow, we could stop that whole thing right there. But he goes on and he explains it all out. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave uh, and whole like those who go down to the pit. And we'll get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder and cast lots. And we will all share the loot. They're saying, let's just go mug people. That's what, that's what that says. He says, my son, don't go with them. Don't set foot on their path, for their feet rush to evil. They're swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where the, every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. The people that you were in the mud with before you met Jesus are going to be the same people that want to drag you back into the mud. Not because they're mean and awful, but because that's the only life they know. And they don't know why you don't want to party with them anymore. They don't, want, they don't know why you don't want to do the things that you used to do. And Paul, in one of his um, epistles, says that, that when they realize that we're not doing those things anymore, that should be the evidence to them of Christ changing who we are. Last thing I want to share with you is this. If you're racing along and all of a sudden it starts raining, you have to change your attitude. No, no, I'm talking about a race car driver. I'm not talking about you. I'm not like, you got to change your attitude. Your attitude stinks. I'm not, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. I'll show you what I mean here in just a second, okay? But when you're racing along and all of a sudden the road starts getting a little wet and things start to slide around and the back end starts slipping just a little bit and you start getting scared and you want to quit running and you want to quit the race and you want to quit going to church and you want to quit small group and you want to give up on Jesus, that is the time for you to change your attitude. And this is what I'm talking about. You cannot have the invincible me attitude on dry road slicks when it starts raining. You are totally vulnerable by yourself. Winners do not say, I can do this alone. They don't do that. People who win do not do it alone. They don't. They just straight up don't. Look at this, what Paul said to the church in Galatia. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also would be tempted. There's a picture of that little five-gallon bucket thing. All right. Carry each other's burdens. 
And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. You cannot run an 1100 horsepower, rear wheel horsepower automobile. That's not what I have. I'm just talking about my friend. You can't run an 1100 horsepower Camaro, okay, by yourself and say, I don't need anybody. I don't need any help. Because sooner or later, winners don't do it alone. I saw this picture on social media and I posted it and it will forever hold my heart because it arrested me like while I was scrolling through political posts that needed to be ironed out, straightened out, and corrected by me um, because I have a sickness. Uh, and I'm right. Um, so, not. I saw this picture. And as soon as I saw this picture, I said, that is the church. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing right there. And I read the story, and it wasn't like a story that somebody made up. It was a real thing. This man was on the wrong side of the bridge because he was about to jump off the bridge and kill himself. He was done. The rain got to be too much. The race was too hard. And he thought jumping off that bridge was the answer. He needed to change his attitude, but he didn't want to because this was easier. And I'm not here to throw rocks at him. I'm not throwing rocks at him. Thankfully, somebody saw him on the other side of the bridge and said, before you do that, and engaged him in a conversation. Can I know your name? Can I talk to you for a second? He didn't say, can I save you? He just said, can you give me some information? He began to interact with him. And as he got close enough and a man began to explain things to him, he reached out and grabbed the man and held on to him real tight. And somebody else walking by, for whatever reason, had a yellow rope and, and reached over there and tied him to the bridge. And somebody else reached and put their belt through there and tied his knees to the bridge. Somebody else reached through and grabbed the hold of his belt that he was wearing. And a couple of guys grabbed him by the head and held on to him. And they're not going to let him jump. They want to help him change his attitude. That it's okay to run the race in the rain. We just got to know how we're going to do it. And he was never meant to run this race alone. Winners never race alone. Never. Never. There's always a cheering section. There's always somebody that believes in them. There's always a sponsor. There's always a pit crew. There's always other racers. There's always. We're not doing it alone. You were not created to live life alone. We were created to live life together. The book that we're doing in our small groups, if you're in a small group, but if you're not, listen, you need to be in a small group, or I'm not sure you're going to get to heaven, but not, 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 no, really. You need to be in a small group. It's called Church Matters, and Pastor Janice wrote it. And it's all about the fact that we need each other. We need each other. We're learning that in small group. The three hardest things in the world to say. Write this down. Worcestershire sauce. Some of you right now are trying to say it. You're going, yeah, you're right. Is it Worcestershire or Worcestershire? It's Worcestershire sauce. The second one is, I was wrong. Please forgive me. That's the last one is, I need help. Worcestershire sauce 
because it's funny. I was wrong. Mostly because we're men. Please help me. Because I can't do it all. I'm not as strong as I want you to think I am. The weight has been too much. But we still move forward. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You're here. We, you and I, were created for community. We thrive in community. We win as community. And like that picture, sometimes our friends have to tie us to the rail and love hurts. It's not an endorsement of sin, that picture. It's people that are willing to call us out and hang on to us without letting go. Because it matters. Because you matter to God in heaven. He's going to reach into your life through all of these people around you. So how's your race going? How's your race going today? Somewhere in the midst of all the fun, has the Lord reached in and touched your tires? Has He reached in and touched your attitude? Is it raining where you are? Maybe it's sunny and you're running a good race, but you need to reach out to somebody else because we're not always paying attention to what's going on around us. And God wants to meet you today. Maybe it's a time for you because it's time for you to surrender your life to Jesus because Jesus wants you on his race team. He wants you on his race team. And that's not going to happen until you make a cognitive decision. These people are up here to pray for you. If you're racing in the rain, if you're going through something, if you're struggling with something and you're saying, hey, it's not going to kill me, but it's hard, it's heavy, it's difficult, I, I, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do, Pastor, they want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. There's no sense in leaving here still racing by yourself because Jesus wants to put his arms around you. You don't have to beat the next guy. All you got to do is finish the race. You don't got to beat him. You win by finishing, Paul says. And that's what we want you to do finish well. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We invite you to fall upon us. We invite you to be our God. We invite you to love us. We invite you to call us out, to challenge us, to convict us, to empower us, to heal us. We need you. Not another fancy sermon. We need you, God. So we say, come Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts where we're pretending it doesn't hurt because it hurts and it's hard. We don't understand, but we're willing to pit just long enough to get charged up and get going. So meet us here today.